0: This is Leaving Laodicea with Steve McCraney, and this is a podcast for those who realize that apathetic, lukewarm, flannel-graph faith just isn't going to cut it in the chaos that surrounds us today. We need something more, something different. So join us as we learn how to leave Laodicea behind. We are in the middle of a 21-day prayer adventure. Uh, We started a couple weeks ago. Today is day 14. Hopefully that you have availed yourself to that and spent some time, if not every single day, more time than usual in praying, especially looking at the Scriptures and, and trying to keep your prayers focused on what they say. Last week, we talked about the prayer life of Jesus. And unfortunately, when we're looking at the prayer life of Jesus, all we can basically learn from him are the mechanics because most of his prayers are not recorded in the Scripture, especially his private prayers. We don't know the content of when he went up in the mountain all night long to pray. We don't know the content of early in the morning, long before dawn, he went out and prayed, and then Peter found him in in Mark chapter 1. We do see the content of his prayers that he prayed among others. We see in John 17 this long prayer that he had where he prayed for the disciples who were with him, then he prayed for us, those who would believe on him through their testimony. And those prayers were more prayers that he prayed with others. But uh, the content of his prayers, uh, for some reason, the Lord did not want us privy to those. It's a different situation with the apostles. Last week we talked about kind of the mechanics how Jesus prayed, and I found it very convicting to look at his prayer life and his commitment to prayer and my prayer life and my commitment to prayer. We learned that he prayed for others, and he also prayed with others. We looked at some of the scriptures that kind of tie that in, and he taught us to do the same. We saw that many times Jesus prayed alone, and that when he prayed alone, often... More so than not, he would go out into God's creation and pray rather than in man's creation like a temple or a church building or your bedroom or your car or stuff of that nature. Not that those things are wrong. I'm just trying to show you what Christ did. He would go out and I guess being surrounded by the handiwork of God just brought him into a closer union with him. If you're not used to going outside and praying, sitting on your front porch uh or, and watching a, a sunrise or a sunset and just praising the Lord rather than just maybe at your kitchen table, your desk, or your car, try adding that to your prayer life. I think it I think it will help greatly. We found that Jesus prayed often or regularly, so much so the disciples were kind of marveled at that. He prayed for extended amounts of time. Quite often in Scripture, we find Jesus praying not just 15-minute prayers or these arrow prayers or stuff of that nature, but he would pray for hours, sometimes all night long in prayer. He also prayed, and we learn this from Mark 1, he also prayed very early in the morning. Why was that your habit, Jesus? Because if I don't, by breakfast, my day is just shot I've got all these people coming and all these demands, and I've got the Pharisees that are putting me down and all these crippled people that need my help. I've got the disciples that I'm, like our family, that that I'm I'm trying to teach the Word of God, and my day is so full, trying to cram 20 hours into 10, that if I don't pray early in the morning, that opportunity theme seems to slip away from me. That's my testimony. It's the same way with me. If I don't put him first... I keep kicking him down the road, trying to find later on in the day to spend time with him, and it seems like other voices are louder than his. Have you noticed? Jesus taught his disciples, even taught a parable about that, on how to pray, but pray with persistence. Not just throw a flippant prayer out there, but pray like it meant something. Pray like it was your loved one that needed your prayer. And number nine, which is kind of one of the... The hardest ones to accept is Jesus prayed even when he knew some of his prayers weren't going to be answered. I mean, he didn't pray just once. He was in the garden and prayed three times to the Lord knowing that that wasn't God's will, but nevertheless, he prayed anyway. So sometimes when you and I pray and God says, no, we shouldn't be discouraged, we shouldn't feel crushed, he said no because he has a greater good. He knows more than we do about what our circumstances are. So we looked at some of the things we can learn about the prayer life from Jesus. But today, I want to look at the prayer life of the early church and see some things we can learn from them. And here, it has to do with content. This rocked my world. What I'm about to show you today has absolutely convicted me of the lameness of my prayer life, and I've known Christ for 40-something years. It has convicted me of my earthly focus of my prayer life versus the things that the apostles prayed about and the early church prayed about. They didn't care about circumstances. They didn't care about what's going to happen tomorrow or what was happening to them today. They were kingdom focused and their prayers just, just showed that and their, their prayers meant something in first Corinthians chapter one. Paul is sharing a situation he's going through, and I want you to listen to the distress in what he's saying. And I want you to just not gloss over these words, but look at what he's saying, the pain and the hardship that he's gone through, even to the point of death and despair. What he says here, So says, We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, writing to the church of Corinth, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. As a matter of fact, it was overwhelming. It was more than we could even handle. That we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even for life. Have you ever been that burdened? Have you ever been in that much turmoil and that much pain and that much suffering that the hand of oppression is upon you, that you couldn't fight against it with your own strength, that you despaired even for life? This is what Paul's talking about. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, and if we're crushed from this burden, hopefully he'll raise us too, who delivered us from so great, not just a burden or a trial or a tribulation, or I lost my job, or you know, I had this illness or something of that nature, but so great a death and does deliver us, and whom we trust that he will still deliver us. And then he talks about, the most important thing of encouragement to him. And he says, you also helping together in prayer for us. They're crushed. They're overwhelmed. If you read. Some of the accounts later of what Paul's ministry was like or even the roll call of faith at the latter part of the chapter. They were destitute. They went around in sheepskins and goatskins and they didn't know where their next meal was going from. Paul might have been going through that kind of stuff. We have no place to live. We've been out on the open road. We've been stoned. We've been rejected. We're overwhelmed. Somebody send us a, a new car. Somebody send us something to take care of our temporal needs. Help us. Wasn't what they asked for. What encouraged them the most was prayer you also helping in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Now, this was not, and I don't want to make light of this, but this was not some standard bulk missionary thank you letter email. This was not, hey, we just want to thank you for your prayers and your support. Okay, well that you know, that I know you're really thanking me for the support, but the prayers too, since we're giving money, we really don't have to pray. This is something totally different. Paul and whoever was with him at this time was hanging on to the prayers of this carnal church in Corinth as a lifeline. I can't imagine what the prayer time must have been like when the church got together to pray about their brother Paul. Probably a lot different than the prayer times that we have together that the church has had together my whole life. Paul understood that there was spiritual warfare going on, that there there was a church that was standing in the gap for him, a church that was in prayer on their knees, beseeching God to fight against the demonic forces that were trying to crush him and using secular governments, for example, or the chaos in the culture to crush his light. He understood that and thanked them for that kind of prayer. Watch this, Romans 15.30. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, I'm begging you that you strive. The word here means to fight, to struggle, to contend, some translations have it, to wrestle. I mean, that's a whole lot more than... Uh, Lord, thank you for today and, 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 you know, help our missionaries and, and, oh yeah, Paul, uh, just, just don't oh, just bless him. It's not what's happening here. I'm begging you, he says. I'm begging you to fight, to stand, to strive together with me in prayers to God for me. I mean, it's a, you know, when Paul asks, you know, what can we pray for you, Paul? Uh, You know, the content is not that important. What I'm asking is you stand and fight and pray and wrestle against the spiritual darknesses of evil that's trying to crush me and crush you, that you put some effort and passion, that you see this as a war like it truly is. Or that you wrestle together with me in prayers against the power of darkness in the very passages that Vic read. Colossians. It's a different word here. A prappus, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you. But well, what do we know about this guy? Always, always laboring fervently for you. The word here, you see the Greek word, it means to agonize or to be in agony. It means to engage in conflict, to contend for victory, to fight, to wrestle, to struggle. Hey, uh, we have, uh, we have Bob over here and Bob, Bob prays for you all the time. Well, thank you, Bob. You know, what's that prayer life like? Oh, I have you on my prayer list. And every day when I go to the Lord and I read my prayer list to him, it's nothing wrong with that. Read my prayer list to him. I, I want you to know that I've lifted up your name to the God in heaven. That's great. I mean, it's wonderful. Hallelujah. Most people don't even do that. But here he says this guy is laboring striving, contending, fighting, struggling for you. How is he doing that? Does he have a sword and a shield? No, he's doing it in prayers. Well, what prayer is he specifically praying? Is he praying that our financial needs will be met? Is he praying that the illness that I'm struggling with will be taken away? Is he praying that the, the group will be receptive? Is he praying that you know, somebody will give me a ride so I won't have to walk 20 miles to the next town? What is he praying? That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. That's a global prayer. We want to know exactly what is the will of God. It doesn't matter. I'm praying for your fullness, for your completeness, from your Colossians 2.10, 2.9 and 10 passage, that we are found complete in him. When I think about my own prayer life, and listen, when I'm sharing this with you today, if it sounds like I'm pointing a finger at you, it's only because I've had fingers pointed at me. I'm just... When I, if I, instead of using me, I talk about us or we, if you're not like this, if your prayer life is not like this, I mean, if you pray like Paul does uh, and ask people to hallelujah, praise the Lord, this isn't meant for you. This is meant for people like me who struggle when it comes to times of prayer. When we pray, what do we pray about? Do I pray about the kingdom of God or I'm praying about my own little kingdom. I'm praying about how things affect people personally. When somebody comes up to me and says, I need you to pray for me because I may be losing my job, is my prayer just on the temporal? Lord, uh, don't let him lose a job. Or is my prayer built on how you losing your job or not losing your job will impact the kingdom of God? What God can do through you and teach you through this trial and tribulation, which may include losing the job. Am I talking about how God can be glorified in this situation, whether you keep your job or lose your job? Or is my focus always on the temporal? Or we're going to talk about it in a few minutes, the little fix. Here's my need. Pray for my need. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. But are we missing sometimes the big picture that it appears the disciples in the early church, never did. Am I praying about how things affect me in this kingdom or in the kingdom of God? Sometimes when we pray, we kind of call them little answerable prayers. They're they're kind of of little fixes. And so as I was was studying this and I was looking at this and I'm asking the Lord to draw me deeper into him, he, he said, well, let's just look at your time with me. Examine your prayer life. With me, you know, I'm studying scripture and so I'm praying according to scripture, but primarily I've found that most of my prayer life is, is what I've been taught, what I've seen in, in pastors that I studied under, what our culture and our church has done mainstream for all my life. Even when I read accounts of other churches, it's pretty much kind of the the same thing that we have a tendency of praying for fixes, little answerables. Lord says, how much of your prayer life is on my kingdom and how much of your prayer life is focused on these little things that you want me to do, these little bitty fixes that are often related to your, Steve, entitlement? What do you mean entitlement? You have an entitlement mentality. I think it's, I think it's part of the systemic problem we have in the church in America. Some of the largest churches in America, like Joel Osteen's church, preaches a message of entitlement. You know, you're, you are God's ki- kid, and so therefore you shouldn't suffer anything. Anything. Your life should be absolutely wonderful. And if it's not wonderful, it's some faith failing on your part. Like all the disciples had terrible faith failings. I mean, they all died martyr's death, except for John, who rumor has was boiled in oil and survived. I can't, I can't imagine what that was like. The, the history of the church for the three centuries was nothing but persecution. I mean, Caesar would light his garden parties with the burning bodies of Christians. They would throw Christians to the lions for sport. It was much more chaotic culture then than it is now. And yet the book of Hebrews says that the world is not even worthy of men like that. They didn't pray for little fixes. But I know in my own life, and probably you have experienced this in your life, and I know the church in America today, it seems like that's that's what we do. I don't deserve to lose my job, and so pray that I won't. Is it God's will that you lose your job? I'm not even asking. I just don't want to lose my job, and so God needs to do what I want to do. I don't deserve this spot on my lung, this this medical problem I'm going through. I don't deserve, somebody else deserves that. I don't, so therefore pray that it goes away. Well, maybe God wants you to learn through suffering. I reject that because I have an entitlement mentality. I don't know if it's part of our DNA or if it's part of living in the lay-out-of-sea and church age where it's all about us. But often our prayer life just deals with these little fixes, these, these horizontal problems, and there's nothing wrong to pray for the need of someone else. But maybe there's a deeper avenue to that that we're missing. It's called kingdom praying. All our prayers, even the prayers for each other, the prayers for the little fixes, focused on the kingdom. I'm shocked and amazed as I went through the New Testament, the letters of Paul and and some of the other letters, even the book of Acts, and I noticed that almost all the content of the prayers were never about what was happening right then. It was always about God's kingdom and how we can be changed by whatever we're going through. You know, Paul and Silas, for example, are unjustly accused in the middle of a, of a prison with their skin peeled off their back from a flogging, and they didn't pray to get out. They didn't pray, Lord, just banish all those other people and just rain down your judgment on them, and this is unfair, and they didn't pray that at all. As a matter of fact, when they had an opportunity to leave, they didn't, because they were kingdom-focused. For example, Ephesians chapter 1. We've looked at that today. Let me just show you some of these prayers. We've been looking at that this week. Ephesians 1. This is the prayer that Paul is praying for this church. Verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, did that cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That your budget would increase, that your staff would get bigger, that you'd be able to get a new sound system for your church. That you know we'll be able to be on television. That the news media will be able to feature me. That I'll get more hits on Facebook or, or YouTube or or stuff of that. And then none of that stuff. Didn't care about that. And I cease to give thanks for you in my prayers. And what are those prayers? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you money, riches, fame. No, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, that you would become more kingdom focused, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you will now may know the calling or know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power, his dudamos, miracle working power towards you and me who believe according to the working of his mighty power, his dominion which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, that every name is named not only in this age, but also that which is to come. And not only that, this Jesus who saved you, God has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. I care about your job. I'm not interested in your temporal problems. And, and God will take care of all that when you recognize who he is and who you are. His prayer here is to get their eyes off themselves and others and the little fixes that we pray for and to see something grander, this kingdom of God. Today, the songs that we sang, Karen, they were excellent. Every single one of them, they weren't about me. They weren't about my felt need. They weren't about Jesus loves me. They were about his grandeur and his glory and his greatness. Wasn't that great? Chapter 3, book of Ephesians, Paul prays again. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom the whole families in heaven and the earth is named And here's my prayer, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, money and health and wealth and an easy sailing. He would grant you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height? And to know the love of God Christ, the agape of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What an incredible kingdom prayer. Nothing about our little fixes. It's just to know who you are and who he is. And then he breaks into my favorite doxology. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Paul's prayer, and my prayer is that you understand that and believe that. To him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Romans, another prayer. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praying for unity, praying for something greater than just your temporal needs. Uh, Verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the dudamos miracle-working, explosive, dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. These prayers are not about the situations they're facing, struggling in Rome under an oppressive, dangerous, blood-soaked government. No, that we'll be different. There will be change, that will be overwhelmed by God's goodness. Philippians chapter 1. Just it overwhelms me how his prayer, their prayer life is so much different than mine, than ours, than any prayer life of any church I've ever been in my entire life. Verse 9, Philippians chapter 1, and I pray this, that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things which are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. My prayer for you is not to get out of the problems that you're facing right now or to get the advancement in the job or or help pay off your house or stuff of that nature. My prayer for you is that the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of righteousness be manifest in you for his glory and not yours. Even Philemon, a very personal letter to Philemon about a situation with a runaway slave. I mean, how in the world does Paul commend Philemon's prayer? And again, I'm, I'm showing you this because this isn't just a letter to a church. It's a letter to an individual. Philemon, verses 4 through 6. He says here, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. And what is that mention? Hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ and towards all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. In other words, what I'm praying for is continue your soul winning. Continue your evangelism. I mean, I'm not praying about the fact that God has blessed you, and therefore you had the slaves, and, and God is wonderful, and I hope his temporal blessings keep pouring out on you. That talks about that kind of stuff, or, or maybe some illness that you have, or your wife is sick, or that your kids would do that. No, Lord, what you're doing to glorify God, do it even more. I don't have time to go through many of the others, but if you'll go through this, you'll find time and time and time again the prayers that are communicated in the New Testament. Again, we don't have much content except for the high priestly prayer at the end of John for Jesus' prayer, but we sure do in these letters. And the prayers were always kingdom-focused, kingdom-focused. Now, why am I sharing this with you? Um, because we are moving into the time in which we're going to have to become faith preppers. I've been sharing with this before, faith in church with the capital faith and prepper lower case. You know, um, maybe after the first of the year on Thursdays, we're going to have some classes here to emphasize the prepping part of that. As we begin to see things begin to get really dicey in our culture right now. We have people that uh, are dependent upon us. But a faith prepper is someone, like any prepper, someone who sacrifices for today to take care of people he loves tomorrow. Everybody who's a prepper, and we'll just use as the secular word for prepper, we'll talk about somebody who stores food or water or, or supplies or stuff of that nature for a time that they might not be able to do that, sacrifices money they could be spending on themselves today in order to provide for their family if things get really rough and they're not able to go to Walmart and buy everything they need. They're very convicting because a lot of us believe that way, but we don't want to sacrifice today to save for tomorrow. When it comes to being a faith prepper, it's exactly the same way. For you men or even women that are leaders of your household in here, I mean, you got to be a faith prepper for your kids because until they have that faith in them alone to be able to stand against the onslaught of what our culture is going to throw us throw at us, they have to live on your faith, and is your faith strong enough? Are your prayers about temple thing temporal things or when you pray for something and God says no, does it whack you out so bad that you don't pray for him to him for three or four days afterwards is Have your kids seen you early in the morning on your knees studying god's Bible and praying I mean or have they, or have they not? Does your wife look to you for spiritual leadership, or does she look elsewhere because she knows it's not found in you? Well, I just don't have enough time. That's being a faith prepper. You have to make the time. Give up something that robs you of your time, like Facebook. I read an article that said that. Um, no, I don't think it was an no, article. I don't remember where it came, where I heard about it. But it says that every time you check your Facebook, it costs you at least 20 to 30 minutes. And I know that's true in my own life. I'm just scrolling down mindlessly, reading stuff that means nothing. Know what I mean? The next thing I know, 20 or 30 minutes are gone. That's 20 or 30 minutes. You could have been doing something for others. And and, and if people check check their Facebook three or four times a day, think about that. It's like a part-time job. You don't, have to, you don't have to see it beginning to rain before you build an ark. Noah began building the ark long before it ever rained, if they even knew what rain was all about. Now, when it comes to prayer, there's some of the things today, there's some things that we can learn to put into practice that will hopefully increase our prayer life. And listen very carefully to this. There's just three of them. One, don't immediately jump to the obvious when it comes to prayer. I lost my job. Well, I need to pray that you'll get that job back. But not necessarily. Is that God's will? Do you know it's God's will? Is God going to get glorified in that? Because the job he had, was it a, you know, was it a beer manufacturer? I mean the fact is, is that really what God's plan is for his life, or does he have something else? Well, I, I don't know. I don't even I don't even take the time to ask. All I know is somebody's coming to me and they're hurt and I want to fix it. I want to correct that hurt. I want to pray something that's affirming to them. Whatever you want is what I'm going to pray. Don't be so hasty to jump to that conclusion. Instead, and I've only known one man that's ever done this in my entire life, um, one person, that when somebody would come up to him and say, hey, will you pray that whatever, he would say, let me spend some time with the Lord and if I feel like that's God's will, I will pray because I want to make sure that my prayers line up with his will and my prayers don't necessarily line up with yours. Well, that's offensive to me because I asked you for some help and you said you're going to ask God what his will is in this situation. I'd rather just have you pray a prayer to make me feel better, even though it may not even be God's will. Maybe you ought to ask God what his will is, what his situation is, what's going on. I- I don't know how to pray in this situation. I don't know what you're doing here, God. Will you direct my prayer? Will you show me through scripture what I need to pray? What God would give you the most glory in a situation? And I found when I have taken the time to do this rather than fix the need. Sure, I'll pray, boom. God usually tells you. God may not say this is exactly what I have planned for this person, but he will give you, he will give you Freedom to pray something that is according to his will. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at a scripture later on. It says that when you even don't know what to pray, that the Holy Spirit prays for us. Because he's the one that knows the mind of God better than we do. So when you're praying, just pause. Don't assume that jump to the the obvious conclusion, well, this is exactly what needs to be done. Maybe not. Maybe not. I think it is, and you think it is, and if I was God and you were asking, I would certainly grant that request, but maybe not. We don't know. And it takes discernment sometimes to find that out, a little deeper prayer yourself, and then pray accordingly. Number two, don't be so quick to fix the fix, to fix the problem because sometimes God chastises me and sometimes the problems that come into my life that come into my life because God's trying to get my attention that he loves me and like a loving parent he chastises me and sometimes sometimes the problems that I have are the consequences of my own sin i mean that's what God does And so when I'm struggling with the consequences of my own sin and, you know, I come to you and I say, Hey, will you pray that this is taking place? And, and you're, and you pray for that trying to fix the fix will have maybe no, no effect at all if God's got another plan. My wife has learned the best way to handle that with me and I'll, I'll, I'll be under. I'll be in a circumstance where I'm operating totally in the flesh, and I've worked this whole thing out in my mind because that's what I do. I'm a plotter. I look at every possible response that could happen. I go down every one of those lines physically. I already determine what my end result's going to be, no matter what the other person says or the situation turns out. So I'm not caught by surprise because I got it all worked out in my head. Anybody else like that in here? And then all of a sudden, a situation like that happens, and so I sit down with Karen. I say, "Hey, hey, I got this covered. Here's what we're going to do." And her response is never, I ain't praying for that. Her response is always, um, have you prayed about that? And my response, almost invariably, in <laughs> situations like that is, no, but I will. So why don't you pray about that first, and then let's talk. Okay. Nice rebuke, by the way. Nice rebuke. And you know, when I pray about that, I realize that all my planning and scheming and all these working out and what I think is going to work usually is not what God has planned at all. I just never asked him because I'm too busy trying to fix the fix. And so in the New Testament, if somebody came, it appears, if somebody came up to the early church and said, I have a problem and here it is. It appears that their their prayer for that person would not be, Lord, fix this problem, because he's sovereign and he can do it any time he wants. The prayer would be, Lord, whatever you choose to do during this problem, would you let this person grow spiritually? Would you give them a deeper understanding of who you are? Would you give them greater insight in who you are? Lord, would you bring glory through the situation, whether you fix the problem like they want or whether you don't or whether you have something even grander for them? Would you do whatever necessary to conform then to the image of your son? And then whether the fix is in or it's not, they're changed. Make sense? It's not a horizontal view, but a a vertical view of the magnifal greatness of God. And number three, last one. When you don't know what to pray, look to the scripture. Let the scripture guide you. I don't know. I don't even know what to pray in this situation. Okay, well, I'll start reading in the scripture and I promise you in no time at all, God will give you something to pray for that person because this word is living and active. Remember the promise that we have in Romans 8, 26 and 27 when you're praying, which says this, when I don't know how to pray, it says, likewise, the spirit also helps in our weakness. Well, is that a physical weakness? Is it a moral weakness? What kind of weakness is it? Well, the context says that the weakness is I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray for this situation. I don't know what your will is. I don't know what to do. Maybe I'm so overwhelmed because the hurt or pain or fear is so great that that I can't even I can't even utter the words anymore. I don't know what to do. I'm weak regarding that. It says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For when I don't know what I should pray, the Spirit himself prays for me makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot even be uttered. We, of course, say, oh, those are tongues. We have to We focus on the wrong thing here. What we're focusing on is the fact that, that the Holy Spirit does that in such a way because he's the one that searches the heart, and he knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for each of us according to the will of God, not according to my will or my little fix, But according to the will of God, I don't know what to pray in this situation, Lord. You have a lost loved one and you're praying for salvation for them, you can guarantee you that's God's will because the Scripture clearly says that. But when you want to know, and I've shared this example with you before, whether you're going to get a job at Capital One in McLean, Virginia, or stay here and work for Bank of America, that answer to that prayer is not found in Scripture. At least I haven't found a passage that says, go to Virginia. Know what I mean? But the principles that are in truth is in there. When you're praying about that, God will answer those prayers even if you don't even know what to pray because his Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting. Last thought. Let me show you how this works. Paul has a need. Paul is struggling. Paul is hurting. He's been sent this messenger from Satan to buffet him or attack him or assail him. And we don't know if it was some sort of spiritual attack. I personally believe that it was a physical attack. It has something to do with his eyesight. That's just my opinion on that. And Lord, I can't, I can't, it's a physical need. I can't, I can't function like I used to. I can't. You know, I can't write as much. I have to have to sign my letters. See my big handwriting And the church. In Galatia, says they love me so much they they would give me their own eyes. And there's indications of that. And and Paul, it's a fair it's a fair prayer request. I want to serve the kingdom of God with my whole life, but I'm lame in one foot. I'm having eye problems. I my money's run out. I'm I, I my car broke down. I've got I got nowhere to finish what God wants me to do. So so God, I have a I have a specific temporal prayer need that I'm presenting to you so that you can help me with this fix so I can I can continue doing the things that I need to do. And last he says I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation he's talking about the fact that uh, um, you know he'd been taken up into the third heaven and seen things that he can't even mention. I mean Paul realizes that part of this was to show him that he's still a man just like everybody else. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would depart from me. Pleaded, not just, oh, Lord, take it away. Thanks very much. Pleaded. I can imagine him being like in the garden when Jesus was pleading with God. Please, God, let me be able to fulfill my ministry. Let me finish the race strong. And I feel like whatever's going on here is hindering me. It's buffeting me. I'm I'm in despair, almost to the point of death, like the first verses we looked at. And God's response was, I've already given you everything you need. You should be content in me, that my grace is sufficient for you, that you know, I, I I could grant that, and maybe he did, but the fact is that you're asking something that really doesn't matter, because what you already possess is so great and wondrous that what you're going through right now pales in comparison. Your focus, Paul, is on the wrong thing. Your focus needs to be on my glory and the kingdom and what I've already presented to you rather than this need that you have that you're pleading with me to take away because you think it's hindering your ministry. It's not. My grace is sufficient for you. You want me to tell you why, Paul? Because when you are weak, then I am strong in you that my strength is made complete in weakness. And if you remember, Paul, the reason why you've been given this is because I wanted to make sure that you weren't exalted above measure. Maybe you were in your own heart, and I don't know. So God spoke to him and said, obviously, no, that uh, I'm not going to do that because everything I've already given you is enough. And Paul got it. Rather than you and I, getting angry with God. Really, God? Really? As much as I've given as much as I've sacrificed and all that it's cost me and I've served you faithfully ever since the Damascus Road and you say no? I mean, well, what kind of God is that? I would never do that to my children. How can you do that to me? That's not fair. Well, God spoke to him and he got it and he got you right. It's not about me. It's not about my strength. It's not about the revelation. It's not about the things that I want, even though the things that I want are good. It's about you. Therefore, after I understand, therefore, I would gladly rather boast in my sufferings and in my infirmities and in the things that are going on. Oh, praise God, I would gladly do that. Why? For the power of Christ will rest upon me. And if that's not enough, I take now pleasure in those things. The very things I was praying for you to remove, I now take pleasure in them. And even more so in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sakes. Because when I am weak, then I'm strong. Paul got it. I mean, he got it. Struggled like we do. God said, no, that's not fair. Yes, it is. Because what I've already given you is enough. All right, I will rest in you. You're enough, God. I will just trust you. It's a life-changing quote for me that uh, I became aware of almost 35 years ago. And it's from Oswald Chambers, my utmost first, highest, January 2nd dealing a situation in my life, and I was praying and praying and praying, God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? How are you going to help me? How is this going to work out? I need to see uh, your result. I don't see anything but darkness. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. I got other people to pray. We're all praying. I'm quoting every scripture I know how to do, but nothing's getting better. What am I supposed to do, God? Am I supposed to have faith in nothing? And this quote was the next day's devotion, and it says this, have you been asking God what he's going to do? He will never tell you. God never tells us what he's going to do. He simply reveals to us who he is. Have I ever let you down, Steve? No. Is uh, Do I love you more than you love me? Yes. Do I have a perfect plan for your life? Yes. Is my grace sufficient for you? Yes. Do I have prepared a place for heaven and I'm, I'm, I'm going to gladly receive you unto myself that where I am you may be also for all eternity? <sighs> yes. Then why are you focused on this? Why are you asking me like a disbelieving, spoiled, faithless child? God, I need to know what you're going to do right now when I have never failed you and never will. Just trust in who I am. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen tomorrow because then you're going to come to me every single time, which is the opposite of faith, and want me to give you evidence. Instead, I'm going to reveal to you who I am. And if you focus on my goodness and my grace and my love, then everything else should take care of itself. Amen? This is some of the things that I'm hoping that we're getting as a congregation as we are corporately together trying to spend some time in prayer, privately, being focused on God's words and especially the passages in Ephesians chapter one and two which deal with who we are in Christ. If this is who I see you as and this is what I've already provided for you, then why are you worried about the little fix you want me to take care of tomorrow? Is it a sense of entitlement? Is it a lack of faith that you have in me? Is it just to make your life easier? Maybe I want to bring glory to myself and teach you things by making your life a little tougher. Word says that. We're to rejoice when we face trials and tribulations, correct? That's a tough one. Yeah, because the testing of our faith produces perseverance. A faith is not tested, (sighs) who even knows how strong it is? And once it's been perfect and complete, but that's how you'll be lacking nothing. It should be the focus of our prayers to look beyond the temporal and focus on the kingdom, amen? Let me pray. Father, would you let this truth become real to me? And Lord, would you change my prayer life to have it not focused on my felt needs or the felt needs of others. Because you love them and you already know what you're going to do. There's no amount of prayers that we can pray that's going to change what you know is best in a situation for a child that you love. Some people get sick and they don't get healed. Some relationships are fractured and they don't get put back together. Jobs are lost and lesser paying jobs are found. You know exactly what you're doing, God. But through all those trials and tribulations, like the roll call of faith in the book of Hebrews, would you let us be the kind of people that the world was not worthy of, because we gave you glory in everything, that we were concerned about your manifest glory and wisdom and our prayers for each other, and even those that come to us with asking for our prayers. Is Lord that they will grow deeper in their relationship with You, that You will show Yourself strong and mighty during that circumstance that You have obviously either orchestrated or allowed to happen. You're in Your heavens, God, and You do what You please. And would let our prayer lives reflect that glory? And I'll thank You for this in Jesus' name. Amen.